seven years in, seven uh, wonderful years in, I might add, and yet it feels like we're just getting started. It all began with one service at the original building with 12 people, and then it fills up, and then two services at that location, and they both fill up, then back to one service at this new location, and then it fills up, and then two services at this new location that fill up, and so we buy more chairs to accommodate more people, even while we open a second campus at Solutions Recovery, where we're adding teams to that location, and now we're looking to expand this location as well as it continues to fill up in both services, and yet it feels like we're just getting started. We've added live streaming, a podcast, new teaching ministries and community groups. We're reaching more people with the gospel than we ever had, and it feels like we're just getting started. Through community outreach events like VBS, the 4th of July celebrations and fall festivals and opportunities for preaching, teaching, and leading worship at conferences around the state. We've seen hundreds of people come to Christ, recommit their lives to Him, experience baptism, and become a part of the lifeblood of the local church. And it feels like we're just getting started. We've sent missionaries into the community, around the country, and all over the world, many into some of the darkest places on this planet. Missionaries who are taking the gospel into areas it's never been before. And it feels like we're just getting started. Of course, right here within the walls of this local church, both here and at Solutions Recovery, we've seen marriages restored, hungry people fed, broken people healed, lost people saved, bound people set free, and the Word of God take root in the lives of His disciples in ways it never has before. And I'm telling you, it feels like we're just getting started. It's such a beautiful story. It's a beautiful story about you, about what Jesus is doing in you and through you to affect the lives of other people for the sake of the gospel. It's a story that I am profoundly grateful to be a part of because you can go back and read each chapter of that story that chronicles the last seven years and see the transformation and discipleship that is happening day by day and week by week and year by year in each of our lives. And of course, the impact that what we're all doing together is actually having on each other and this community and people literally all over the world. There's really nothing else quite like it when you look back over the, seven, uh, the past seven years to witness the very real and measurable effects this church has had on human lives, both near and far, of course, as Christ works through us. And it never gets old uh, hearing the stories, the testimonies of how people have been changed, enlightened, encouraged, redeemed, restored, healed, accepted, even sent out by God through this local church. There's really nothing else like it. Yet it feels like, it feels like we're just getting started. And, I, and I, I think that's probably the way it's supposed to be because look, you understand God didn't write a backup plan into the script. You know, if just in case the church doesn't make it. No. No, the church is God's plan for spreading the gospel and making disciples in this world. There is no backup plan. You understand, we're it. 
And I think that's why it feels like we're just getting started because as gratifying and fulfilling and encouraging as it is to look back on what he's already done through Upcountry Church, it is far more stirring to think about what he's going to do through Upcountry Church based on the foundation that has been laid thus far as we look ahead to all of the parts of the story that have yet to be written through you, which means what that story actually looks like as we move forward together, what that story looks like uh, five years, 10 years, 20 years from now, well, that depends on how we build on the foundation that has already been laid, which you understand uh, is the project that we've been assigned to by God, all of us. You see, it's not about, uh, it's not about a small group of professional ministers building the church of Jesus Christ. Now, listen, if it's left up to professional church staffs to build God's church alone, then the church is in trouble. Because a handful of vocational ministers cannot accomplish everything that must be done for the church to effectively make disciples the way Jesus commanded every single one of his followers to make disciples. And, and uh, look, it's a common problem in the body of Christ today, where people look for churches based on what those churches have to offer them and their families, instead of looking to the church as an opportunity for them to join with other followers of Christ for the purpose of making disciples as they use the spiritual gifts that God has given them, combined with the other gifts represented in the church, so that the kingdom of God on earth, His church, will grow. And you understand that is the only way God intended for us to make disciples through the church as we labor side by side with one another. There is no other way. And yet today we, we tend to view the church primarily as a place we go to receive something rather than to give something when in reality it should be both, right? As members of his church, every one of us should always be in the process of making disciples, I'm not just talking about this church, you understand, I mean the church, right? If you're, a, if you're a believer and follower of Christ, you are a member of the church. And so we should all always be in the process of making disciples, and we should all always be in the process of being disciples. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. Every single one of us should always be being discipled and making disciples. Every, every one of us, which only, 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 only happens as you fulfill your God-given calling as a part of and within the local church. In fact, I would challenge you to find even one example in Scripture of someone fulfilling their calling apart from the local, organized, structured church. You won't, because there are no examples of that in New Testament Scripture, because the organized local church is God's creation, design, and sole model for his followers to fulfill the Great Commission. Every ounce of ministry accomplished for the sake of Christ in the New Testament, once the church was created, was accomplished through the local churches. The Apostle Paul and every other laborer for Christ in Scripture was sent out by the organized local church with other people. There, there are no lone rangers in the kingdom of God. And the reason I'm telling you that is because from the inception of the church right up to today, there has been a propensity for followers of Christ to want to use their, their gifts and resources and calling to try and fulfill the Great Commission apart from the local church, right? Because let's be honest, 
uh, it can be a lot easier sometimes to work alone than it is to work with a bunch of other people, right? And yet, that's not God's design. And it's not a new problem either. In fact, the same issues that have plagued the church from day one. Uh, just listen to what the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Ephesus in the first century AD. He says, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, there, there are no believers and followers of Christ left out of that statement. The whole body is the whole body. Now listen to the next word. He says, joined. The whole body joined, not separate from one another, not out on our own, not relying on ourselves. No, the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Every joint, that's every single one of us, not just some of us, not just the professionals. No, every single one of us, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Can you see how critical it is to the growth of the kingdom of God on earth that you are using your gifts in and through the local church in order for the kingdom to grow? Paul said it's only when each part is working properly, that's all of you, that the body grows and builds itself up in love. So if each part is not working properly, the body does not grow or build itself up in love. You understand how, how important your part in this is? So moving forward, how this local church, uh, this, this local expression of his worldwide church, how upcountry church is to be built on the foundation that has been laid over the past seven years, what this church looks like five, 10, 20 years from now is largely dependent on how you use your gifts side by side, joined, with each other from here on out to build up what God has started, which is the very same thing Paul was teaching the churches that he planted in the first century, including uh, the church in Corinth, as we'll see today, because Christians, even in the first century, were starting to look to the professional ministers of the day, to uh, men like Apollos and Paul and others, to build the church. And so Paul writes them a letter and he says, look, the only way this church will be able to grow as God intended it to moving forward is for every one of you to do your part with what God has given you, which applies, of course, as much to the church today as it did then. And so uh, let's turn there to Paul's letter to the church at Corinth and read it together. The first letter, and interestingly, uh, by the way, Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthians from Ephesus where he addresses the same issues to the church there, as we just read a moment ago. So uh, this was a church-wide problem then, just as I believe it is today. So 1 Corinthians, turn there with me to chapter 3, and we're going to start by reading the first nine verses. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready you're still of the flesh. But while there's jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the flesh. Uh, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. 
So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Uh, the city of Corinth, by the way, sat on the Isthmus. That's a narrow strip of land that connected the Greek mainland with the Peloponnesian Peninsula, which made it this uh, culturally and economically rich and diverse city because of the sheer volume of sea traffic between the Aegean region and the, uh, the Western Mediterranean. In fact, they would often uh, portage these huge ships across the land from one seaport to the other, uh, rather than sailing them all the way around uh, the peninsula because the isthmus was barely over three and a half miles wide uh, at its narrowest point. So much like Ephesus, Corinth was this affluent city and quite a melting pot of cultures and religions and ideas. And in that sense, it shared much in common with our modern Western culture today, where there's so many options for us to choose from in terms of religions and philosophies and even cultural ideas that blend a lot of that together, that the church here in Paul's day was starting to become more influenced by the culture than the culture was being influenced by the church. And notably at the time, there were actually, uh, they had these traveling professional orators, these speakers who would charge a fee for you to attend one of their talks. And at those talks, they would advise people how to better themselves, how to advance themselves socially and economically and culturally. And some of them were quite gifted orators. These were the equivalent uh, sort of of TED Talks today. And, and the lines between these presentations at the time that these men were giving and the local church were starting to become blurred. And so as a result, Paul and Apollos and other church leaders were often treated like celebrities, like these motivational circuit speakers who were wildly popular at the time, just as I think many pastors are looked at today. And so Paul says, look, you're, uh, you're missing the whole point of the church. It's not all about me. It's not all about Apollos. It's not all about any church leader or what God has done through us. No, it's about Jesus Christ and what he wants to do through you. So he continues. Let's read it, verses 10 through 15. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only through fire. So Paul says, listen, I started this church uh, like a master builder laying the foundation. The word for master builder that he uses in the ancient Greek is architectone. It's where our English word architect comes from. So like an architect, Paul lays out the foundation for the church. We know ultimately the foundation is Christ, of course, in his gospel. But like an architect, Paul lays out this foundation for the church. And he says, look, we're, we're just getting started. Okay, we haven't, we haven't arrived yet. I know, I know a lot has happened and we've done a lot. We're just getting started, right? To construct a building, you start with the foundation, but then you, you have to build up from there. 
right? The, the architect cannot do it all himself. So along him comes skilled workers who are gifted in different areas with different skills and different tools and different abilities. And they all work together to build the building into what it's supposed to become. So in other words, you're not supposed to be coming here just to get something from me or to get something from Apollos. I mean, that's good. But there's a lot more to it than that because you are a part of the building process. In fact, your part is critical to the building process. And so Paul also warns them to take care in how they build on that foundation. And he compares gold and silver and precious stones. These were the materials used in the building of Solomon's temple. He compares them with wood, hay, and straw, these materials that don't last. Because listen, if you've built anything, you know, uh, you can cover up shoddy materials. You can cut corners and use people who are not committed to building the right way. You can skip important steps in the process, right? You can build too fast. You can build with inferior materials, and you can still dress it up on the outside. And that building will look great until you put it to the test. Because when the storms of life come, and we all know that they do, that structure will fail every time. The alternative is to take your time and do it right to use the right people and the best materials with the greatest care and attention to detail. And when the building is tested, it will be proven worthy of what it was built for, okay? Uh, what we have here at Upcountry Church is a strong foundation. And what the future looks like for this church, well, that depends largely on how we build upon that foundation. We're going to talk more about that in a moment. But first, you have to start with a foundation that is strong. Because anything that lasts, anything that stands the test of time, that withstands the storms of life, that holds fast when those challenges come, it must be built on a strong foundation. And of course, it seems small when you're looking at the foundation, doesn't it? But when you build a building, you see that foundation sitting there. It always looks small. And that's okay, because great things always grow from small things. You hear me? Great things always grow from small things. Jesus started with 12 people. Jesus and 12 people. And he started the church, and it spread all over the world to become by far and away the largest faith movement this world has ever known. And I, I love the fact uh, that Upcountry Church started with Jesus and 12 people. And our ministry is now reaching people all over the world. And yet we're just getting started, as we've seen. He's bringing in people week after week into this church who are building on a strong foundation. And as I laid out in the beginning of this message, our ministry is growing like never before. And that's how it should be. Because the foundation has to be sure. You have to take the time to build the right way. And then once the foundation is laid, then others come alongside you. Just as Paul said, and they join in and they build on that foundation until it becomes something literally that begins to change the world. It's the story of this church, all of us actually building something together on a firm foundation which is rooted in Christ and no other, something that is eternally changing the lives of people. And what that looks like five years, uh, 10 years, 20 years from now, that depends on how we continue to build in the days to come. And I'll just tell you, Again, for those of you who build things, you know it's infinitely harder to have to go back and fix something in a structure after it is finished, right? Something that wasn't done properly to begin with. It is infinitely harder to go back. You can do it, 
but it's infinitely harder to have to go back later and fix it than it is to do it right as you build it, which is one of the reasons we haven't rushed this process these past seven years, because we've no interest in breaking church growth records at the expense of breaking the church's health. And so, although we know it's certainly not perfect, but we've been very deliberate and very careful to try and build the right way, which we're committed to keep doing, by the way. And yet, this is very much dependent now upon all of us, because it isn't Jesus and 12 people anymore. Right? We are upcountry church. This story is our story, and yet we're just getting started. There's so much more that God has in store for your life as a part of His church. There's so much more that He wants to do in you and through you. There's so much more to the story, but that means all of us being committed to building the right way. Because Jesus never intended for the church to be static you understand, to just stop growing. That's why Paul talks to the Corinthians about continuing to build the church the right way. It's why he talks to the Ephesians about the church building itself up in love because that's what Jesus taught. On the shores of Galilee, Matthew records Jesus teaching them that the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches, Matthew 13, 31 and 32. Of all the known seeds that were used for planting in Israel at the time, the mustard seed was the smallest and yet fully grown. It ends up being a tree anywhere between 6 and 20 feet tall. Some have even grown to over 30 feet tall and 20 foot, uh, with a 20-foot spread. That's what Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to, this tree that begins as this tiny, seemingly insignificant seed. Now keep in mind, at the moment Jesus was uttering these words, uh, the entire citizenship of the kingdom of heaven on earth was comprised of nothing more than him and his disciples, a handful of individuals with no property claims, no massive membership, no religious center, and yet they were living within another kingdom, the Roman Empire, which at its height controlled lands from uh, northwestern Europe to the Near East, including parts of Africa and Asia and all the lands of the Mediterranean, full of religions that had vast followings. You had all the gods and goddesses of the pantheon of Rome, the all-male cult of Mithras, which was massive at the time, had a huge following, not to mention the mystery religions that were rampant throughout the Mediterranean. Okay? These religions dominated the known world at the time. And then you had Jesus and his little band of followers who in comparison from a size perspective must have seemed like a mustard seed, completely insignificant. And of course, Jesus recognizing that compares the kingdom of heaven, his church, to one of those tiny mustard seeds among all the other plants in the garden, those with much larger seeds as well. And yet when fully grown, not only would the mustard tree grow exponentially larger than all of those other plants, but it would stand the test of time long after all of the other plants has died away. And do you know those other first century pagan religions with their vast followings, every one of them has died away. They no longer exist. While Christianity has become the largest religious following in the world by far. Clearly this prophetic parable by Jesus has already come true and yet the mustard tree is still growing. 
Christianity is still spreading and will continue to spread until Jesus comes back, which is the point that Jesus and later Paul was making about why we continue to build the church upon the foundation that has been laid because the church is supposed to grow. This isn't some kind of static religion that we, we serve as long as you know, we're enjoying it or it seems to be culturally relevant or makes sense to us and our family. No, Christianity is the fellowship of human beings with the living God. And since he desires to have a relationship with every human being on earth, the church should never stop growing. That's why we continue to build on the foundation that's already here, not so we can simply have a, a bigger organization or a bigger building. No, it's so that more and more and more and more people will come into relationship with Jesus Christ. But listen, that means we're just getting started. That means we have to keep building. Remember what Paul says about you, the church, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The church is supposed to grow. That's why we're here to share what we've been given with those who have yet to experience it. And yet if each one of us does not do our part, the church cannot grow. And, and listen, it won't. Okay, there, if there is no conviction inside of us, if there's not a burden that burns within each one of us to build the church by making disciples, then the church will not grow. And so first of all, we need to continually be asking ourselves, when I think about the church, do I think about all the people who aren't here yet? The people I could bring with me to experience this, to experience the Spirit of Christ at work in His people when we're all together, or do I just think about who, who will already be there? When I think about the church, do I think about how I can use my gifts to serve others, to do my part, to build it up? Or do I just think about how the church can serve me? When I think about the church, do I think about what I can give? Or do I just think about what I can get? And how much actual time in my day do I spend thinking of ways I can contribute to his church to see it grow? How much time do I spend thinking about those who do not yet no, Jesus, because the church is supposed to grow. But if we don't have a heart for the lost, it won't. Now, each part has to be working properly. You cannot, you'd better not be relying on me and a handful of pastors to do what needs to be done. As Paul says, what makes the body grow is when each part, all of us, every part is working properly properly but but we listen we won't use our gifts as we were created to until our hearts burn for the lost okay you, you understand that the primary reason churches don't grow is because the membership is largely unconcerned for the lost so it doesn't matter how much we know if, if we don't ever share it it doesn't matter how much we have if we don't give it. It doesn't matter how gifted we are if we don't ever use it. right? And for what purpose? To see the church, his kingdom grow. Of course, I'm not just talking, you understand, I'm not just talking about growth inside these walls or this local church. Certainly that will come at times as a result of doing what he created us to do. But our calling is so much bigger than just this local church. I mean, this is where he's planted us at this point in our lives, but our calling is to make disciples of all nations, which means 
look around. We're just getting started. And listen, the work never ends, this side of heaven. Uh, there are over a half a million people in Greenville County alone, of which close to 50% of them claim no religious affiliation at all or something other than Christianity. That means conservatively about 250,000 people in our county are without Christ. I'd say we have some work to do. In fact, as much as we've been able uh, to accomplish the past seven years, I believe we're just getting started because there are at least 250,000 reasons in our county alone that we are not yet done growing. And you realize if just, uh, just 1% of those 250,000 people were to call upcountry church their home, we'd have another 2,500 people in our fellowship. Why does that matter? Because imagine how much more of this world we could reach as a local church beyond our county with that many disciples in this local church. You see, we've built a strong foundation, but we're just getting started, which leads us to the next logical question. Well, then how then does the church continue to grow on the foundation that's already been laid, which is exactly what Jesus explains in the very next parable in Matthew 13. Let's read it, verse 33. He says, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. So Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to a mustard seed, and now he compares it to leaven. Leaven is the, uh, usually in the form of yeast is what makes dough ferment and rise when you're making bread. And of course, we don't think too much about leaven today, uh, but the nomadic ancestors of the Hebrews, much like the Bedouin tribes today, made their own bread without leaven. And so as using leaven became more common, people became very aware. They understood the effect that leaven had on dough. In fact, it only took a very a small amount of leaven to be hidden in the dough, which was then worked in or kneaded in, right, with the rest of the batch until all of the bread would then become leaven. In Galatians 5, 9, Paul reminds the church that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And so leaven was widely understood as the pervasive agent in making bread, whether viewed positively or negatively. Everyone understood that just a little leaven would completely transform all of the dough that it came in contact with, which is exactly what Jesus was saying was the effect of the gospel in culture, right? The church grows by spreading the gospel, all right? The, uh, the spiritual equivalent of the leaven is not how cool our church is. It's not how friendly our, our church is. It, it's not how the church presents itself to the community. And I'm not saying those things don't matter at all, but listen, the, the spiritual equivalent of the leaven is none of those things. The spiritual equivalent of the leaven is the gospel, which means being cool is not going to change our culture. In fact, being friendly is not going to change our culture. Even being culturally relevant will not change our culture because only the gospel of Jesus Christ can change human hearts and transform an entire culture, which also means what we're actually saying to people when we witness to them is of paramount importance. Listen, because you can love people with all of the authenticity and sincerity in the world, as we should, 
you understand a Muslim can love someone with just as much authenticity and sincerity as we can. So can a Buddhist, so can a, a Hindu, so can a Mormon. But look, authenticity and sincerity cannot save anyone. Only the gospel can. Yes, we're commanded to love people, but there's infinitely more to loving people than simply showing genuine affection and acceptance and compassion. Real love means telling them the truth about Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done. It means sharing the gospel. Earlier, we read in Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, Paul says, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So he bookends that, that statement with love. Clearly, love is the key ingredient here. But what does he say we have to do in love in order for the church to grow? He says, speaking the truth in love. Okay, loving people means telling them the truth. It means sharing the gospel. In fact, that is the most loving thing we could ever do for someone else, actually telling them the truth about Jesus Christ. Because everything else they ever accept from us, our kindness, our compassion, our gifts, our help, all that's wonderful. But none of that alone is the gospel. And so I'm just telling you, we need to be very careful about believing that we're sharing the love of Christ with other people when we're simply being kind and compassionate toward them. Because that's, that's good, but that's not the gospel. There's no substitute for the proclamation of the gospel. And yet there are people, and honestly, uh, contemporary church teaching is partly to blame for this, where people share a testimony about something God did for them, and they walk away believing they shared the gospel with that person. Now listen, we're supposed to share our testimonies with people, absolutely. That's what makes the gospel personal and relatable to the people who hear it. Our testimonies are evidence that the gospel is true and truly working in people's lives. But our testimonies alone are not the gospel. Simply telling someone that Jesus did something for you, that he, he gave you strength in a difficult situation, that he gave you peace when your life was in turmoil, that he miraculously met a need in your life, all of that is great, but none of that is the gospel. Personal testimonies will not leaven our culture. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can do that. Why? Because your testimony is your story. The gospel is his story. That's why it's so important that we not only share our story, but we're very careful to share his story as well, because only his story can leaven the human heart. And so what we build on this foundation, it has to be rooted in the proclamation of the gospel of Christ, which leads us to how we build, how we do that. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. Now, the three measures of flour was a lot of flour, about 50 pounds, actually, enough to make bread for 150 people when it was baked, and yet no one would know the leaven was even there until the bread was produced. You see, the, the evidence that leaven had spread throughout the dough was found in the final product. 
once the bread was produced. Only then could the effects of the leaven be seen, but not before. Until then, the leaven was hidden in the dough. The evidence that the gospel is being spread is not in how conspicuous we're sharing it. That's why we don't, uh, we don't build his church typically by standing on the street corner shouting at people as they walk by. We don't build his church by trying to force our values on the culture. We don't build the church by judging the world. And we don't build the church through self-promotion. No. The evidence that the gospel is actually being spread is in the product of that gospel, the men and women whose lives have actually been changed by it, which means we don't have to self-promote what we're doing when we're truly sharing the gospel because the results will speak for themselves and everyone will know that a real transformation has taken place. When that happens, when the gospel, listen, not just our testimony, but when the gospel itself takes root in a community, in a culture, in the hearts of men and women, there is nothing in heaven or on earth or in hell below that can stop it. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked his disciples, what do you say? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Okay, the rock that Jesus says he will build his church on is the proclamation of the truth about who Jesus is. In other words, my church will be built on the proclamation of the gospel, and when that happens, not even hell itself will be able to stop it. The church is supposed to grow, and the way it grows is by you and me hiding the gospel in the hearts of men and women. But that isn't going to happen until we actually tell them about him. And as much as we've been doing that these past seven years, as good as it has been, as much as we've seen happen because of it, the growth that we've experienced, we're just getting started. And so five years, 10 years, 20 years from now, listen, how about 50 years? A hundred years from now, long after we're all gone, what will people say about Upcountry Church? What story will they tell? Will they talk about how cool we were? Will they talk about how friendly we were? Will they talk about how relevant we were? Or will they talk about how this church lived out the gospel in ways that transformed a community? How people's lives were changed and the culture around it was changed because something that started so small grew into something so large and so lasting and so influential. Something that never bragged on itself, but just quietly and consistently loved people by telling them the truth about Jesus Christ day after day and week after week and year after year until it spread like leaven throughout the city and then the county and then the state and even far beyond. You see, that's the story. That's the story I believe God is writing about this church. 
and he's writing it through you. And how big it gets here, that's up to him. But how much the gospel of Jesus Christ gets needed into the lives of men and women through this church, yeah, that's up to us. We built a good foundation. Yet it's going to take every single one of us working properly, doing our part to make it grow. Because as good as it has been, we're just getting started. Let's pray.